Jeff is a fascinating individual and one of those people that you just know is going to continue being successful. If you look across Dibs and the success that they've seen, A. Rod Corp, Stanford, MBA, Yale Law Degree, uh, it is truly impressive. I think you're going to enjoy today's show. And one of the things I've been told by my team is we need you to start leaving reviews. So don't like and subscribe. Leave a review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. It all helps. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. Explore the minds and marketing strategies behind today's winning brands and businesses. Tap into the power of the creator economy with Earned by Creator IQ. Here's Connor Begley. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Earned. Today, we have Jeffrey Lee, the co-founder of Dibs Beauty, as well as a litany of other impressive things. Um, welcome to the show, Jeff. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me, Connor. And you're a legend yourself, so when litany applies to you equally. <laughs> and actually, you know, I should have asked this before we started, but do you prefer Jeff or Jeffrey? What's your preference? Uh, you know, uh, Jeff is easy. People call me everything Jeff, Jeffrey, uh, which is more of my parents, and sometimes just Jeff Lee, because that's my last name. <laughs> 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 and in, in grade school, you know, I was like one of like, I think, very few Asians where I grew up in Newport Beach in Southern California. I think people thought my entire name was Jeff Lee, and it, it just kind of rolled off the tongue, you know, and so I've <laughs> gone by everything. Thank <laughs> <Hey>, you. <laughs> There you go. Well, I love the I love the flexibility. Um, well, I'm going to brag about you for a minute, just because you know I was really impressed when I looked into your background, right? So um, maybe we'll start with you know got your undergrad and MBA at Stanford at a very young age, went on to get your law degree at Yale, then worked at the SEC. You were a political science teaching fellow while you were at Yale, then went into kind of corporate M and A practice at the top law firm in the country for that, uh, then COO at A Rod Corp. Where you did a bunch of really impressive things, including like we were talking about earlier, the podcast, but you know, I think it's been watching A-Rod's rise over the last five years has been um, both surprising and like, wow, it's it, just impressive. And obviously you've co-founded Dibs as well, and you're the CEO there, which, you know, we've been looking in our rankings. I talked to Dan, who we just had our last podcast and is one of your co-founders. If you look at the numbers there, you guys went from Q4 2021 you were number 236 in our cosmetics ranking, next quarter 202, next quarter 182. So you're passing 20 or 30 brands a quarter, which is like rapid, rapid pace, right? So that's um, super impressive. So uh, so excited to have you on. There's there's not nearly enough time to cover all the questions I have for you, but we're, we're going to give it a shot. I love it. And by the way, um, I'm going to brag about Dibs because it is our baby and uh, you know, the focus of my life right now. We were just named WWD's number one up and coming uh, makeup brand. Um, and this was based off of uh, monthly searches for us. And so, um, you know, it was by an order of, I think, maybe 10x the next competitor or maybe 5x the next competitor. So, um, you know, we we love we love to see it. And it's a great validation for the team as well, where uh, people have really put their blood, sweat and tears for you years into this project. That's awesome. Yeah, it's funny. We just did an episode with Doug Jensen, who's the SVP of analytics at um, Estee Lauder, and what they connect kind of all the influencer content to, right, all the EMV to, is uh, is Google search. They call it desirability, right? They, they see direct correlations between one kind of leading to the other, right? And so um, in addition to the fact that you've got great products and everything else going on, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, well, let's, uh, let's actually, let's take a couple steps back, right? So I think that that journey in and of itself is just incredibly impressive, right? And spans a lot of different fields. 
as well as we didn't talk about your nonprofit work or we didn't talk about, you know, your work with uh, the beauty queens or with, you, <laughs> know, with I, the, you know, the stat, <laughs> I don't know how you do it all. The stat on uh, what's the stat from, um, you know, every equinox in the world, right? Over a hundred. So, um, so talk to me a little bit about kind of that journey, right? How did you get from, you know, MBA or, you know, undergrad at Stanford to, you know, running a beauty company? What's that path like? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, you can always look backwards, I think, as Steve Jobs said at my sister's graduation and connect the dots. Um, and so there's a very easy way for me to look back at my life and say, oh, I was a beauty pageant coach at a very high level. And I should still do that every now and then for um, roles I do believe in. Um, you know, I've produced numerous winners and finalists at all the top international contests like Miss Universe and Miss World. And say, OK, well, you're always going to go into beauty um, or say, you know, look, I, I actually worked on Alex Rodriguez's male makeup line. And that was you know, what I was doing even immediately before dips. Um, but I, the way I would put it more is I'm, I'm a person of a lot of different interests, um, but very committed to excelling at what I choose to commit myself to. And those interests change over time for sure. But the once they commit to something, I don't let go of it until you know I feel truly that it is on its way. And so, you know, from a young age, I was captivated honestly by Miss Universe and by Miss World and like the idea that countries can actually compete against each other on this basis versus sports. And I think that was the first time I kind of understood, okay, like there is an objective ranking of excellence. Um, you know, it's very subjective in the <laughs> world. Uh, but, you know, I, that, coupled with the fact that I had the quintessential tiger mom, um, you know, someone who really, really believes in the American story, the idea of working hard um, and the rest will fall in place. Um, that really shaped my journey all the way to um, when I started at Stanford. Um, another big part of it, too, is I know, you know, you and I have uh, probably some connection here is, you know, my struggle with personal fitness as well, which is. I was an extremely overweight kid all the way until um, my freshman year of college. And, you know, that was when I decided to really make the switch. And so on top of all that, I'm actually a certified personal trainer and I do train a fair number of private clients from time to time and helps keep me in, you know, in the biz. And it was a natural extension from last to look at Equinox, which I think is one of the greatest gyms on earth and say, I want to be the first member to work out at every single one and literally have to fly to London or you know, <laughs> Long Island, which is tougher than London <laughs> uh, to complete that. But um, that's really been the like kind of like a longstanding uh, thread, which is um, when I find something, I commit to it. And uh, frequently that then opens another door. And so I couldn't have told you. 10, 15 years ago when I was committed to being a corporate lawyer and really excelling at that craft that I would end up here. Um, but I don't think it's also surprised uh, any of my peers who I still keep in touch with. Yeah, no, that's awesome. On the, on the kind of finding something and committing to it, you know, how do you think about kind of, you know, time management, right? So you've got all these different interests, you've got all these different things going on. And I remember at one point, my co-founder and I kind of uh, we're like, oh, we're going to be, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on the name, Virgin Virgin guy. What's his name? Oh, Richard Branson. Um, Richard Branson. We're like, oh, let's run a bunch of different businesses. And they tried to spin up a second business and it was like, mm, no, like we can't, I can only do one thing at a time. So how do you, how do you think about kind of time management and having all these different kind of interests? How do you prioritize? Right. What does a day in the life look like? Well, you know, not only time management, right, but like fidelity, because you know, you want your team to, you know, whatever you're doing, whether it's, you know, your your after school, you know, 
like handball club or you know your your knitting club or your bingo club or your life's enterprise like you want your team to know that you're fully invested in whatever you're doing so i think there's also like it's not just time management but also loyalty like management of like you know your fidelity um, your fiduciary duties um to what you commit mm-hmm. yourself to do mm-hmm. um i always tell my team you know try to distinguish between what's important and urgent um especially nowadays because we're a fully remote company and we were founded in the pandemic i didn't meet courtney dan ken my you know the original quartet of us for months um i think eight or nine months until i finally met them in person and, and you know the entire team has actually never met each other in person in, in our rapidly growing team. And although I'm trying to change that, at least they're meeting each other in chunks at a time. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think that in this environment, it's really easy to have a lot of stuff firing at you from Slack to text to um, obviously whatever you've got going on on, you know, the big screen, you know, and, you know, people leave their TVs running. So whenever, um, you know, I go through the day, first of all, I know what's important, what I have to get through, you know, what I have to, it doesn't matter if it's 2 a.m. It must be done that day. It's just absolutely important. And that list is frequently different from urgent, right? And so, you know, in that sense, um, that helps me keep tabs on, okay, am I knocking out a lot of these rapid fire tasks at the right cadence? And am I forgetting something that truly needs to be done? Um, and usually I have a multiple check-ins, right? So around 2 or 3 p.m., I have a nice cadence where I can say, okay, all the really urgent stuff, the really like fire drilly type stuff has either been handled or will be taken care of in such a way that the house doesn't burn down. But then, you know, am I in a place where around two or three at night, um, which is when I go to bed, um, I can say, oh, I didn't drop the ball on something truly critical. Or I didn't take the time to think through a truly critical issue. Um, that definitely probably leaves you and your listeners with the impression that I work all the time. <laughs> and part of the reason it's easier for me, I'll be honest, is, look, you know, I, I don't believe that work-life balance is achievable in the way of like the equal partitioning of your personal life and your work, right? And I think that you can mm-hmm. achieve balance when you do a broader look back, right? Um, we all know as startup founders, the three months where you're only just thinking about the survival or, you know, the flourishing of your own startup. And that's all that really is consuming you. And then you go and you take the vacation after that and that's the cadence. And I think that's balance for a lot of people versus what um, you know, we would traditionally think of as work-life balance, which is you have your nine to five and then from five to seven, you have your dinner with your family, seven to nine, you get your you know, fitness done or whatever. Um, Yep, yep. You know, and, and, and I'll also say, like, you know, it's probably something that people don't acknowledge a lot. It helps to not have that many personal responsibilities. I know, like, this is really blunt of me, but I don't even have pets. Like, you know, for my perspective, yep, yep. like, the thing that I really have to take care of is my extensive orchid collection. So I am really <laughs> able to flex, um, you know, my time around what's truly important, right? And so, um, you know, I don't have those pressures. Um, I do think that also divides us in many ways as a team uh, from a lot of our peers. We're a younger team, you know, um, the day-to-day management of this company is, you know, like we're all in our 30s or so, if not younger. And we're people that can really be invested at any hour. And it's part of the reason why we're so agile. And I think that's what distinguishes Dibs from a lot of our, our peers I see. Like we just move really fast. We're always on it. And there are plenty of people who just don't have that freedom. And frankly, like that's, you know, I'm not making a judgment call because I'm not in a position to it's we're doing, we're doing us. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. 
So when you talk about kind of personal priorities, you know, what are the things that you've decided to kind of deprioritize or de, you know, not focus on from a personal perspective? Well, to a certain degree, right? Um, things are only fun when you're good at them. So there are times when you have to focus. <laughs> I'm stealing that from Amy Chua, the Tiger Mom, who was my, my personal mentor and, and a great dear friend of mine, one of my best friends in the world. And, um, and it's so true, right? So when I wanted to get good at fitness, it's all I really thought about. You know, it was that in school for months at a time. And when I was studying to become a certified personal trainer, that's all I was doing. In fact, it was like at times harder than the bar exam, like having to memorize all the stuff. Um, but now, yeah. like, you know, like for me, like to maintain my steady state, I know exactly what my BMI is at any given time. I know exactly what I need to do to raise or lower it. Um, it doesn't require any mental energy. It just requires, like, it's it's kind of like, you know, the time you allot to um, brushing your teeth. Um, you know, I'm I also converted mm -hmm. to Judaism, mm -hmm. so I pray every day, you know, and like the time I allot to prayer or the time I allot to um, personal hygiene, like you don't think about those things, right? And so it's become like that. And so I would say the same thing goes for a lot of the business too. Setting up, the prior, like the priority in the beginning for setting up dips was how do we make sure that we're launching with spectacular product that doesn't, that, that really stands on its own and that we're avoiding all the pitfalls of many other beauty brands who launch with faulty product, you know, you know, a poor advertising campaign or just, um, or poor fulfillment customer experience. But now, like, as things have started to shake out, you know, I'm able to deprioritize like sweating. I know who's in charge of our product every day. I still talk about it day and night. Courtney called me at 8 a.m. this morning with an idea, truly, and we spent an hour talking about it. But then I know who's handling a lot of that formulation, the manufacturing, and I don't have to be zeroed in. So it's not necessarily deprioritization in terms of the importance of it, but the you know amount of micromanaging and energy I put into it has definitely lessened. And, and that's where you know I kind of try to choose. I, I say, like, is this an important goal for myself as a business? Zero, lock in and then let it level out. And then if I have to go back in, then usually something's wrong <laughs> or it's just not as good as I want it to be. Yeah. How do you kind of, how many priorities are you setting at a time? And like, how frequently are you kind of adjusting them? Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you, like, how many priorities are there currently for the business right now? Like, how do you think about that number? Well, for the business right now, you know, there's only one overarching priority, which is to continue to spread the word about how good we are, about how good the product yeah. is. Yeah. Yep. Right. And, um, you know, and obviously and anything we release and develop has to be in line with it. So everything else flows from that. Um, now, you asked about personal priorities, too, which I ducked uh, in my very long-winded answer. And for me personally, you know, it's I'm a single-track guy in a lot of ways, right? And so, you know, I really have chosen, like, dibs is what I live and breathe right now. And, you know, it doesn't mean I can't work out or take a vacation or, you know, do other things to teach on the side. As you know, I have a lot of different hobbies, but those are all secondary priorities. So, um, you know, there it's analogous in my mind. Like, you know, I teach first year, um, I co-teach a class first year um, ethics um, for MBAs. Um, you know, that's a lot of fun for me, you know, but it's not something I spend all day doing. Unlike the professor who's full-time job it is is to teach this course I can just kind of parachute in um, give my thing and go and uh, you know and yeah. that's really yeah. how a lot of the other pieces of my life are, have been like it's not like I spend my time right now worrying about my personal orchid collection <laughs> 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 I know, I'm totally. like the weirdest guest you're gonna get for months <laughs> no absolutely not this is fascinating I love it um and and there are other people that I think are similarly right um 
have a similar volume of interests, right? But it's always interesting to see kind of how they approach the problem, how they think about it, how they prioritize their time. Because there's a lot of people that listen to this that want to know, how do I found my own successful brand, right? How do I get to where you are today? Um, so let's talk, I want to take a couple steps back in terms of your, your kind of professional career, right? And so I want to talk a little bit about this transition from kind of attorney to kind of operator, right? So that, that leap from, um, you know, uh, to, to A-Rod being the kind of first, first operational kind of role, it seems like. What made you decide to get more, you know, out of the kind of the, the sidelines is the wrong term, but out of the kind of the attorney side and into, you know, actually running a brand? Well, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer since I was a kid. And so, um, you know, I, I, I went to Yale Law School, which is um, not only a great place to study law, but also one that where people go there with very big dreams, right? You know, like you look around and it's like, have yep. the Supreme Court graduate there, Bill and Hillary Clinton met each other there, all of it. And so in a way, practicing law there was actually seen as like the lowest, like, like the path of least resistance and almost looked down. And I remembered everyone like raising yep. their hand like the first day and, and it was like Ronan Farrow was in my class and he was talking about like the Sudan and, you know, wanting to, you know, resolve like the Darfur conflict. And then someone else is talking about wanting to make a difference in electoral politics. And they come to me and I said, I just want you to make market salary in a large New York law firm. And people just, like, I think, lost it. Um, but I, wanted, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, like, it's what I wanted to do, you know, as a kid. There were, you know, I yeah, didn't have a role yeah. model for that. And, um, you know, quite frankly, I didn't, we didn't grow up with a lot of money. And, you know, the amount that I saw that <laughs> a corporate lawyer makes on the first year, I was like, whoa. And, um, and now they make way more. Uh, you know, I really, really <laughs> believed in the craft and perfecting it. And I also wanted to practice it at the highest level. And so I had the chance to lateral, which um, has almost never happened before, into the corporate department at Wachtell, which is my final firm. Um, currently very famous for um, being on the front lines of the Elon Musk versus Twitter battle. And um, there you're working yeah. with the smartest people. And I do think that they are the smartest people I've ever met or possibly will ever work with. And it's really like working, like doing surgery in a lot of ways. Like you have to have this intellectual wonder at seeing how the body, like the, the body of the deal or the physical body works and wanting to perfect every little thing. Because this is an industry where the famous cautionary tale is a um, associate missed a I believe it was a semicolon or a comma on a Caesars um, debt financing document and caused like the difference was something in the order of a half billion dollars and um, all hanging on Whoa. one punctuation mark and that kind of precision on top of being able to like look at it from the top level and say oh is this even the right surgery we're performing for the patient is intellectually fascinating and it's wonderful but for me I also like looked at it and said, I don't want to commit to this forever because I'm reaching the point where I have to commit to aiming for partnership or in having that be the rest of my career or doing the other things I still feel that I want to do. And I think a lot of lawyers go and say, I want to go into the business, um, but they don't really know what that entails um, and they're not willing to make the sacrifices. Um, people in business don't care that you're a lawyer from my perspective. I don't really care that I was a lawyer, right? Like it's great in the sense of I read things mm -hmm. really carefully and I think my team would say I'm a pretty harsh negotiator, but what really matters, right, is having a great sense of urgency, of not urgency, but being able to process a lot of information quickly and make great decisions and also to really care about the working culture if you're in a position like I was. 
that's stuff I learned from working with Alex Rodriguez. Um, you know, I didn't know who A-Rod mm -hmm. was um, when I met him, you know, and I, I mean, like, of course, that's how it happens, right? The, the guy who doesn't know anything about baseball is the one who gets every baseball fan's dream job because I not only was I his COO, I also produced two seasons of his Sunday night baseball program. So I traveled with him and the ESPN crew to 30 baseball games a year around the country. And, you know, I, the way I define it is, uh, I'll sum up that job, was midway through the first season, like if you're into baseball, you know, there's a, the phrase inside baseball applies for a reason. They know if you're into baseball, if you're mm -hmm. into baseball. And if you're someone like me, where yeah. I could name Derek Jeter, uh, Daryl Scott, like very uh, Mickey Mantle, you know, like, like I'm that kind of person, they know, right? Yeah. And he, Alex gets asked midway through, and they're just like, A-Rod, we just got to ask you, like, what's this dude doing? Like, like, why are you having him here? And he goes, like, in your ear, like, you could, like, like, what's the deal? He goes, do you think I need someone who knows as much or more about baseball than I do? Like, I need someone like him who I'm trying to speak to, who can help me communicate to that fan base and expand, you know, what has been a sport desperately in need of more viewers. And to me, that was old. That always summed mm -hmm. up like the visionary nature of having someone like that look at you and say, you're actually the right fit for me. Not because we have these immediate commonalities and interests or passions, but because your skill set is something I need. And, you know, I, in, in turn, I would say, you know, he's, you know, he trained me to be the CEO that I am, right? Um, you know, it, basically mm -hmm. with him, we started as kind of a startup in, um, in, in a lot of ways, although he has had a great real estate business for a very long time. He didn't just pivot retiring out of the Yankees. He was building this as a player. And, um, you know, what we did there at A-Rod Corp was really take him into a lot of the broader um, basis that you see him now. As an investor, I just started Shark Tank when um, I joined um, as somebody who is known as a great partner. Now, obviously, he's an MBA owner as well on his way to majority ownership of a team. And, uh, you know, I always yep. say that there are two things I learned from him. One was obviously the value of, of team building and, and actually really looking out for your team. And as a lawyer, you work with large teams. So it's not the same. You know, Alex truly operates A-Rod Corp. And I learned from him by extension about, you know, with the idea of building up junior people, with the idea of making sure that your senior people are empowered to lead and that the middle management also has a path to advancement. So those are all things that he cares about deeply that I learned from him. But then at the same time, I also learned the ability to just stay calm, you know, that not everything is gigantic emergency the way it is in corporate law in corporate law at 9 30 p.m on a friday that's typically when the deal comes in and it's a fire drill get back in the office start reviewing the agreement these are the 20 things we have to negotiate out before the deal closes on monday market's open you can't leak this boom, 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 boom. and i think it's like all i can say is it's partly personality but the guy has stared at 100 mile per hour fastballs all his life I mean, nothing phases him and every time i think that there's going to be something that's like catastrophic and i'm like gripping myself i just kind of like take that mental cue from him <laughs> yeah for sure i think uh i think a couple things that were really really interesting about what you said i think the first one was your comment which it wasn't really kind of the point of the, what you were talking about but was the kind of this is a sport in desperate need of kind of growth and new new um, viewers, right? And I think the reason that's interesting is like, you know, 
most people that take the job of being the ESPN commentator are not thinking about kind of how do I grow the sport as a whole, right? Like that's not much more ambitious vision than is traditional for somebody in that role, right? And then the second one is consistent in terms of what you were talking about earlier and also what you're, you're saying he talks about in the important over the urgent. I think that that's something that's it's very difficult, right, to do in practice. And it's like, there's another quote, I can't remember, it was, it was uh, one of the presidents, I can't remember which president it was, but it was like, the key to being successful is like writing down the important things you need to do that day and doing them, right? Like, it's, it's not any more complicated than that, right? Like, um, so yeah, so it's fascinating. And I think it's also, I think the other thing that's interesting for me, well, actually, this is not necessarily what you talked about, but I'd love to get your commentary on it is obviously, you know, the business that we're in and the space that we're in is, you know, individuals becoming publishers, right? Individuals becoming creators, individuals becoming, you know, A-Rod now probably has a larger audience than, you know, the vast majority of, of uh, sports networks, right? Um, as an individual. And so how did you think about kind of his role or that, the role of social media and him as a publisher within his broader career, right? Because it wasn't just about him being on TV, right? He is his own He's the most followed baseball player by far, and I believe that still stands. He certainly was when I was with him. And uh, he has explosive growth on TikTok. I think he might be the number one still there as well. Um, And that even is, I think, a great example. The fact that this one of the greatest uh, athletes by any measurement in American history, you know, the, the highest pay, like he has, the, he had for decades, a high, like the biggest sports contract period, but also what he achieved on the field, the world championship and also off. And yet like this guy could really just retire and yet he chooses to be on TikTok and really speak to younger fans. Um, and it's a great way to communicate one of its best qualities. That I don't think people know, which is that he's also a spectacular father and has raised two incredible girls that, you know, would make anyone proud. Um, and they've been instrumental yep. in helping him be on TikTok, right? That's pushing yourself out of your comfort zone in that way. And the adaptability there. And I even look at my business partner, Courtney Shields, who has been incredible on Instagram, one of the most um, successful by, by really any metric, really, you know, in terms of the brand she's partnered with and the messaging she's conveyed and obviously the joy she brings to a lot of her followers' lives. Um, it really has made a concerted effort to be strong on TikTok and it's shown, you know, her persistence has paid off. So, um, you know, when you think about the individual as a publisher, the individual as a publisher has to be enormously adaptable because I'm quite sure that we'll have a new platform we're all talking about in the next two years, right? It's just like the cycle is just that much Mm -hmm. faster. But at the same time, not everyone can do it. And that's part of the reason too. And it goes back to this overarching theme, right? Of like having lots of interests and lots. And I always say like, if you followed your passions, that's like the worst advice you can get. If I had followed my passion, I would be an Egyptologist <laughs> in a bad one. I'd be broke, right? Because I don't want to be broke. <laughs> ancient Egypt was like my passion as a kid. I mean, following the passion yeah, on its yeah. own is the worst thing ever. Because also people get bored with their passions. They can just be real, right? What you should do, right, is figure out what your actual, what your superpower is and how that aligns you with your passions and basically enables you whether directly in the line of your work or by being really good at a superpower and then having economic and time, um, you know, space to do your, your other passions. But everyone has a superpower, something that they are better at, right? Dan Reich likes to call it the unfair advantage, right? And 
Alex Rodriguez has several superpowers on top of just being able to hit a ball really well. He is an extraordinary communicator. He is one of the smartest people I know, and he is intellectually curious. And so that's going to lend itself mm-hmm. to, and he's also humble and willing to make fun of himself, which is why it's so appealing to look at his Instagram from time to time. He's very unabashed about it. He's like, you know, here I am, you know, like, and that's very different from the highly polished personas that a lot of celebrities have when they're trying to adapt to the increasing demand for authenticity, right? Like the increasing demand for best town bite. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is a lot of people that were really good at one thing, at one format, whether it was on the field or being a TV, you know, star or commentator, you can't produce the variety that it takes to be a successful publisher on say Instagram and now TikTok. Yep. And you shouldn't focus your energies there. You should just partner with people that do. Right. So I do think that, that, that's one for sure. um, lesson for people too, because everyone grows up now wanting to be a TikToker. Everyone grows, grows up now wanting to be an Instagram star. And it's not that easy. And also not everyone is meant to be. Like you mentioned, I train, you know, the most beautiful competitive woman on earth for these titles. Like there is a physical requirement, you know, to some degree. It's not all about beauty. In fact, beauty is never actually dispositive to becoming a Miss World or a Miss Universe. But some people are meant to do that versus other or have the unfair advantage to do that. Just like I'll never be an Olympian and, you know, I'm okay with that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know I'm a huge believer in the, you know, it's like, I don't really like to play games and I'm probably not going to win, right? I don't have a good chance of winning, right? Like I like to compete and I like to do things where, you know, you have a chance of being the best, right? And where you have that, like you said, unfair advantage where it's like, hey, and also it's, I remember getting advice at one point earlier in my career and, you know, it was like helping, you know, I'm running the company, right? Or helping to run the company. And you know, I was like, you know, I really need to get better at, I can't remember what it was specifically, but it was like, of like running team meetings, being a bit more organized, et cetera. And then my co-founder was like, why? Why do you need to get better at that? He's like, why do you need to be the one that does that? And I'm like, you're right. Like, I'm really good over here. I'm like, I have a chance to be in the top, whatever, 0.1% in the world in this particular field. Why am I trying to do something else, right? And so I think, uh, anyways, big, big believer there. Well, let's, so you mentioned, let's start talking about dibs a little bit, right? So you mentioned um, Dan, right? And I think that the co-founders that you've put together, the partners that you've put together um, are really impressive. Um, and so you've got Dan Reich, who was the founder, co-founder of Tula. You've got Ken Landis, who also helped co-found Tula and was the co-founder of Bobby Brown. You've obviously got Courtney Shields, who's a you know world-renowned kind of content creator and um, you know uh, publisher in the space. So I'd like to talk through kind of um, two elements there, right? So the first one is, one, like, how did you get to know these people, right? So when you're thinking about partners to work with, whether it's A-Rod or people you partnered with there or people that you're partnering with on the dib side, yeah, how did you get to know them, right? What was that process like? Was it serendipity? Was it intentional? And then secondarily, you know, what do you think, how do you think about kind of working with partners, right? Because you got a lot of powerhouses there between you, Dan, Ken, Courtney, um, how do you think about kind of dividing duties, who makes decisions, 
you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was an intentional um, a meeting in the sense that I wanted to focus on beauty full time. And I know that they have this idea percolating amongst themselves. And so I was introduced through a mutual mm-hmm. friend scan. And um, obviously, word of mouth is really how you get a lot of the great things in life. And let's be real about it. And to your viewers, like, like look, the importance of cultivating, um, you know, we call them strong and weak links, right? Like people that are in your immediate mm-hmm. network, but mm-hmm. a broader network that where your reputation is strong enough to have those people serve as referrals for you or at least make an intro that's a, a skill that everyone should have even if it's not for example your superpower to um you know, be extroverted mm-hmm. in that way i think it's important to cultivate your personal reputation in such a way that other people will go to bat for you including people that don't really know you very well um and that's how i was able yep. to first meet with these people and also Second, because I don't go into any job or any relationship without doing extraordinary amounts of diligence on them, get a sense that they were the right partners because you can have a Zoom with someone and really hit it off. And we really did. I, th- I do think all of us individually met each other, like met, I met everyone individually by Zoom. And you know, Courtney also had a pre-existing relationship with Dan and Ken through um, being one of two of us top um, partners. But, you know, she was not very close to them you know when we started and she and i were meeting each other for the first time we had an instant chemistry i think there's an instant alignment of like okay everyone kind of gets it but you still want to do the diligence and have a sense of like are these trustworthy people are they the people you want to like really commit your life to and you know i always like you know i tell them this too right you know i thank god like you know like they are truly some of the greatest partners i could have ever asked for um just in the way that they do business in the way that they think but also in the fact that there's no redundancy in this team, right? Each person brings something very different to the table. So you know you have people in mm-hmm. uh, you know in this quartet and in, in, in the broader team who have become just as important to the success of this, who have the experience of taking startups from zero to a billion and over. You have people who have seen the ups and downs, right? And you know that's one area where especially Ken has been very important for me because. You know, this is not my first beauty brand, but it's my first time going through this whole process. And Ken has been through multiple successes in this way and has the broader ego eye look. Whereas as a CEO, I'm frequently still mired in the day to day. And, you know, it's just helpful to just have one, someone, you know, up there just, who's you know, paying a lot of attention to the team, but also saying, this is something really serious or this is something you can just let wash over you. Don't let it like change the course you're on. And that's where, you know, going to the question about decision making, you know, I, you know, I'm someone who works by consensus and we are a team that works by consensus. And I don't just mean that in the sense of decisions are made by the founders, um, you know, which is really Courtney and me on a day to day basis. We're making a lot of those active decisions and then hand it down. Right. You want to get buy in from your team as well. So, you know, I'm very deeply invested in a lot of the minutiae of what we do, even down to sometimes what we're posting on Instagram or who we are partnering with. But frequently it's a dialogue right and it's i can really very rarely point to a case where like you know a decision comes down by fiat for example right it's like you because yep. we want, it's a small company still and you want people to feel invested even in the decision making process even if it was something that yep. you didn't agree with and so that's how the style works but i think the importance is there's a huge amount of trust um there's an enormous amount of trust um, in the competence of everyone to do what they need to do and the fact is people respect each other's superpowers. Um, I like to say, like, I don't like to be at a table where I look around and someone is better at, isn't better at their job than I am. 
right? Like I, I want to know that everyone who's doing what they're doing is better at what they do than I am, right? Uh, yep. Sydney, who runs our um, TikTok and is also instrumental to our partnerships, works closely with Tribe, right? She's just better at that platform than I ever will be. I'm, I'm just an observer. Yep. Courtney is obviously better at what she does, communicating to the customer, understanding what their needs and wants, and having that relationship with their community than any of us ever will be. Monica and our team is just better at the aesthetics, at the branding of things than I will be. And and that's how we kind of work. Dan Reich is better at, you know, frankly, half of the tech stuff, but also, um, <laughs> you know, startup dynamics too, right? Um, because yes, you know, A-Rod Corp, you know, also grew rapidly, but it's very different from what we have constructed here. So understanding everyone's lanes too. But that said, I do think one of our great strengths too is Yes, people have superpowers, but people have complementary strengths also in where everyone else is interlocking. I am a product first CEO. I have a deep understanding of the product and I'm not ashamed to say I probably understand product better than most of my peers in this space. I know every ingredient, I'm, sitting, I'm the one sitting in the lab. And um, that can't be said for a lot of this typical beauty brand combination where you have the on-screen talent and you have like the business guy in the background. Conversely, yeah. Courtney is a very business-minded partner here. You know, she might have control in many ways over the creative, and certainly she is the face of the brand. But Courtney is a deeply invested person and has a deep understanding of the economics of the business and also where we are at. And I think that's part of the success. So just as, you know, I, you know, she trusts my opinion on what color combinations work. You know, I'm, you know, I, I am constantly talking to her about this is, the cogs that go into this product. This is how this launch performed. Um, this is why we need to market X, Y here. What do you think? And that's really rare. I always kind of kick myself to find it. Like it's very rare to find that interlock among all the key players. Yeah, I know when we founded Tribe, um, you know, John, my co-founder's background was as an engineer. Mine was on the sales side. And so, you know, I focused on sales and marketing and he focused on product and engineering. And, you know, but I think both of us, like I thought product was more important than sales and he thought sales was more important than product. And so it was like a mutual appreciation, right, for the other half, which I think is, is important, right? Um, so talk to me a little bit about, you know, obviously I think Dan, I imagine Courtney are really driving a lot of the kind of marketing, the EMV growth, the influencer um, kind of side of things. But again, I'm sure you're very deeply involved in that. What have you observed about kind of the approach that's been taken so far that's worked really well, right? Because again, I think you guys came out of the gates, the numbers are really strong, and then it's gotten better and better every single quarter over the last kind of three quarters. So what do you think is driving that kind of consistent upward trajectory that we just don't see very often? You know, this is a, the underlying playbook is pretty simple for a lot of new beauty brands. Let me get mm -hmm. the person that can drive eyeballs and then let me just get like yep. the product and fuse them together and go, 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 go. And I think from early on, like we always viewed Courtney as understanding like the enormous value that they have, um, that her community has in attachment. Obviously there's a great deal of ability on her end then to convert that into sales. But I think we always approached it from the perspective of this respect to what she's built up over a decade, that community that's grown up with her. Let's watch her go through all the realities of life and build products that she can truly believe in, that we can believe in, and that her community would buy even if she weren't you know, in front of them. 
And that's where I'm very proud of our repeat order rate, which is very, very high. You know, it can exceed 60% on some products. And, um, wow. you know, and that's early, right? You know, we're, we're 10 months in, right? We're not a full, full year in. Um, I think the product and the mission are critical, right? And you can market all the great strategies that you want around that. But if you don't have exceptional product that delivers joy and value to your customer, you're not going to win. And the mission has been very simple. We are, I think, sui generis, some of the new generation of makeup brands. DIB stands for Desert Island Beauty Status. This is the makeup you would bring with you to a desert island. Doesn't matter your level of makeup knowledge. <laughs> exactly, right? You know, I mean, you and I might, like, it might not be essential for you and me, well, you know, but, um, you know, although I am an end user. Of a lot no, of no, products. no, I just love that. I love but, that perspective. You know, but it is, like, it's, uh, you know, but, but that's, yeah. the, that's the underlying principle. We don't release anything unless it matches that philosophy. And unless we feel that our partners, whether it's Courtney or many of our extraordinary partners out there who really believe, can believe in the brand, right? So, you know, I truly think that those are things that have really set us apart. That and also the extremely strong visual identity. You know our product right away when you see it. And that's very different from the phenomenon of blanding that we've seen in the CPG space in general. Now, in terms of the actual social strategy, I think we have a couple of strengths going for us. One is that Courtney has proved to be enormously versatile. So whereas you know, her TikTok grew by an order of 50% in the last month alone. And you know, it was she drives explosive traffic now through that channel on top of traditional Instagram, um, Facebook um, platform. And, and that's great to have a rocket ship like that, which is always kind of thinking of how can I reach more people with different messages, um, but like the same values underneath. Can't discount that value. But at the same time, what we've really, really been keying on, on isn't just let's go out and find lots of influencers that convert. It's really doing the legwork with who is the dips person? Who is the person that represents this brand at a macro and at a micro level? And having that right mix yes there are a lot of brands that will go out and tell you okay well we tried to strive to create a pyramid where we have this many mega influencers this many micro and it's great and we try to find people that are outside of the traditional streams of beauty right which is what we try to do as well for sure i know that's been a great strategy for tula but that alone doesn't account for our success the reason why we have been growing at this clip and we have these is because we have deep relationships with these people we are a 50 state brand. Mm -hmm. I'm committed mm -hmm. to having an event of some kind in all 50 states. We open, we're Austin headquartered and our biggest events have been in Nashville, Indiana, Cleveland. Like we're going to parts of the country that aren't where beauty is kind of fine. And we're meeting people on the ground. In Indiana, people were telling us no one has ever come to Indianapolis. I'm like, why not? Like you guys are, <laughs> you know, right? You're like, you don't, like you're an amazing market, an amazing community. On top of it, again, I do think it's a commitment of the team to building this community and starts from the very top to every level. Um, I would say every single member of this team has actually a direct relationship of some kind with multiple influencer partners, you know, and that includes people who have no nexus with the influencer side of the business. Everyone here has some direct relationship. Um, and again, we are 24 seven, so we're very agile. Courtney knows at any given time what's going on on social media. I know at any given time what's going on in our Shopify. I'm in our Shopify every 15 minutes and constantly <laughs> updating each other. And I'm sorry, but yeah, our peers yeah. just don't work that way. So that we can tell our entire team, drop everything, 
go, 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 go. If we see something really working, like flex a, like, you know, a new bundle in this way, activate these partners, let them know there's new messaging right now because this thing is really picking up steam. So the, our products are so multi-use. We discover new uses from them, from our partners. Yep. And then, so we'll see that happen and go, 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 go. But it's also, I'm community service. I mean, I'm a customer support half of the time on Courtney's TikTok. Like, I don't TikTok myself. Like, everyone knows it's like, it's Jeff Lee, the CEO of Gifts. And I'm like, oh, well, we'll check on your order, email our customer support line here in her comments. And just yep. members of the team, no matter the seniority, play that role across the board. They're in the DMs. They're talking to, you know, our, our great partners. People need to feel important because they are important. And we do invest in that. And we go to them. Right. And so that's a case where I don't think a lot of brands, you know, are operating on that perspective. They're saying, let me pay an influencer X amount of money. She can push the product and I don't need you anymore. No, we know who your birthdays are. We know where you live. We're, <laughs> we're the totally, ones 100%. And we're the ones asking you, what can we do better? And we're the ones coming to your, you know, because we're spending the time planning out how we can get to Nashville and have something that brings a lot of joy to your community. And that takes a lot of work that a lot of people aren't willing to do. Totally. And it's very consistent, right? I think what we've seen be successful. Um, that comment you made about kind of the whole team being involved reminds me a lot of Glow Recipe, which is now in the top two or three brands we track in skincare. I think they're north of 100 million in revenue. Um, I asked them like, hey, what percent of your team is like involved in social? She goes, 100%, like everybody, every single person at the company, right, contributes in some way. And it was like, oh, wow, like, never heard that answer before, right? Yeah. And so, um, okay, so I want to ask you one more question. And again, as expected, I've got like 10 more questions and three more minutes. So, um, so uh, you know, in terms of your career, right, so you've had a lot of success, right, externally. Um, what is, you know, kind of the, what was the hardest part of your career, right? What was the period? period in your career where you're like, man, like I really need to, and again, so these can be not necessarily dark, but just pivots, but what was kind of the hardest, what was the hardest part? And then we'll do one more kind of fun end of show question too, uh, that you know, should be a surprise. I think the hardest part is whenever I felt I've lost direction, whether or not that's direction in terms of actually where the career was going, right? I mean, during the pandemic, I mean, I sat on my couch, like, you know, like just like ate junk food and like gained a lot of weight and didn't work out and was just like, you know, what am I doing with my life? Am I going the right place? Mm -hmm. But I think loss of direction is harder when it's even more than that because everyone experiences a part where your career isn't going in the quote unquote right direction so that you can update your LinkedIn and look even better to people. That's not what, you know, I think it's really, <laughs> really tough, right? I think like the really tough part is yeah. when you're doing something and you don't feel like you're representing the values that you want to represent or that you're actually, that your day to day isn't filled with right purpose. And you know, I think mm. that in, no amount of money no title, no amount of, you know, social media likes can, I think, compensate for that, right? And, you know, I felt that certainly at many times in my life, but frequently triggers a pivot in my, in, you know, from my experience. But, you know, I always look at like the people who do feel trapped in their jobs or feel that they've lost the direction. And I always have to say like, look, sometimes it requires a full reboot or sometimes it just requires you to say, what are the things that I can change and have other people help me change? And will give me that direction again. And, um, you know, I, I do really truly believe in, you know, business ethics. It's ironic because I barely passed that portion of the bar by like two questions. And now I like talk about it all the time. But I do, you know, <laughs> and that's one of the great things I think about working with my team. You know, we have a fundamental level of honesty, of directness, but also honesty. 
And, um, you know, I've worked in many industries where the theft element is so prevalent or the fluffery, you know, the puffery mm. element is so prevalent and, you know, all prevalent. And, you know, when you deal with us, like what you see is what you get, you know, and um, there's a real honesty in how we do business. And my, one of my business mentors always told me, she's like, I've never made a cent off of someone else's misery. And so that's always been, you know, my kind of guiding principle. Um, it's not really about the money, but how you make it right. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, well, let's do one kind of fun end of show question. So you've been to a little over 100 equinoxes. I can't remember, 116, I think, 106. 106, but there's more because um, like there's like a secret one and then like there's like, the, yeah, there's the pop-up one. A secret one. <laughs> there's like multiple secret ones. Well, I had to break into one. Like, I think like they hate it when I talked about that one, but I actually broke it. <laughs> so I, uh, I don't know if you've ever ranked them, but what would you say was the best one you've been to? And what would you say is the yeah. worst one? The worst one, uh, yes. The worst uh, Equinox I think I've ever been to, actually, tell me right. So really a tie between uh, one on Long Island and one in um, Aventura, Florida, um, just because like the, each each space has a character and like these spaces don't have character. And, you know, it, it, it's all about like, and it's, you know, it, it doesn't have to be like the fanciest gym or whatever, but you know, there's just some places that you feel like the best one for me, and it, because it's tied to the memories, right, would be Huntington Beach in Southern California. Um, it opened when I was yep. in business school. It was time in my, my life when I felt very grounded, very excited, and it's a, the side associated with that, which is logical, right? And it's also physically stunning. You're on the water. And so, yes, the London yep. ones are yep. probably even more highly ranked by, by members, but, you know, to go to a place, uh, to your own personal desert island, that's, you know, that's a magical thing I wish for everybody in the world. For me, it's that place because also everyone's happy. Like they don't work in Huntington Beach. Everyone's a surfer or like, you know, <laughs> you know like people are just chilled out. So everyone's happy in that location. It's just beautiful, magical. But um, to me, it's all about the memories that you make in each place. As corny as that sounds about a gym, right? You know, for a lot of people, this is their temple, right? The way that like, you know, going to actual temple for me is or going to your church or going to your place of wherever you get that and um you know i certainly wish that for everyone that you know to find something like that yeah absolutely i think finding something that like can where you can truly be focused and centered right and like kind of step away from everything else um that i know for my father-in-law it's like fishing it's like well it's not fishing for me right but there are certain areas where that just becomes true right and so, uh, well, I had an awesome time today, Jeff. It was so great to get to know you. Congratulations on all your success. Obviously not that surprising. I think we'll have to do another one of these too, maybe a, a, a revamp in a couple of years, see where you're at and where Dibs is at, because I know uh, I know it's going to be a rocket ship. I appreciate it, Connor. Thanks for letting me talk at your, your, your viewers' ears off. It's fantastic. Yeah, no, this is great. I think people are going to love it. I learned a ton. Be a friend, tell a friend, and subscribe. Earned by Creator IQ. Creator IQ is your all-in-one solution to grow, manage, scale, and measure your influencer marketing program. Ready to unlock the power of the creator economy? Get started with a demo today at creatoriq.com.